And this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We are recording with Mr. Roger Williams, author of my favorite book, The Metamorphosis Metamorphosis of Primal Act, available on Lulu. And get it on Amazon as well, but Roger gets more money if you get it on Lulu. Same price. And uh, today we're going to talk about a video I watched like three days ago, and I texted it to Roger, and it was it was really I think the best video I had seen as someone that doesn't know anything about AI. AI. It's probably the best video I've seen about AI, and. It has really? a lot. It, it it had a lot of interesting tropes in there that we kind of need to tease apart and deconstruct separately. Uh, it it was a very interesting uh, construction of the argument that we are approaching the singularity and that we are approaching having AIs that are super intelligent. And, you know that uh, will overtake us. But I also think it was wrong. <laughs> on several levels so uh well it made me it was terrifying too if you take it at face value just the way it explored everything made me think of mopey and yes um i i have actually interacted with a couple of the people that were in that video there was a period uh a few years (laughs) after the, the novel went online when uh ben gertzel was uh, also a member of a chat group that I was on. And uh, at one point he said, I'm about about 95% sure that I remember this correctly, that he said that uh, reading my novel was like a rite of passage for people coming to work for his company. Oh, okay. Which, if you think about it, is kind of a Marquis de Sadian thing. It's like, because no one in this, who who wants the singularity actually believes what the novel says yeah i'm I, i'm don't, not even going to say that i completely believe it myself it's yeah. just the arc of the story but you are expected to be conversant with these ideas and to defend your disbelief against the argument that this is a danger this is a possibility what would you do about it and uh, I have to give the Singularity guys props, the, the ones who are fans of the novel, because none of the Singularity bros, as Andy Atunche calls them, are, you know, b- believe that what the book portrays is what's inevitably going to happen, but they face it. Yeah. And I think that is a good thing. Uh, and they're, you know, one of the reasons that they face it is that they are worried that if they don't do it right, that it will have a bad outcome. Yeah. So uh, the uh, there are a number, you know, but, th- but there are several things going on, though, in this video that are different than uh, from one another. Uh, and uh, the first thing I want to do is go 
past the beginning of that video to the 80s and talk about Markov chains. I have heard that term before. Yes. Probably now, from you. If you look it up, then there's a very abstract mathematical definition of how it relates to state machines. But the way that they were originally done is you would take a body of writing, okay? The complete works of Shakespeare, the complete works of Robert Heinlein, the complete works of Isaac Asimov, or the complete works of me. And you feed them into the computer and you build a probability table. If you are looking at the word anteater, what is the next word going to be? Well, it's 30% likely to be this. It's 50% likely to be that. It's 20% likely to be something else. And you build a table. And then after you've built this table, now this is something that couldn't be done until relatively inexpensive computers had hard drives. So this was something from the mid to late 80s when this really started to get popular. Then you take that table and you start with a random word. And you say, well, what's the next word? Pick one from the table according to the probability frequency list that you have constructed. And you can get more sophisticated and say, if I'm looking at a pair of words, what's the third one going to be? If I'm looking at three words, what's the fourth one going to be? And build tables like that. Of course, you're talking about what was in the 80s considered a very large amount of information mm -hmm. to do this. Now, the remarkable thing is that if you then take those tables and use them to build an output, you can recognize the author. Mm -hmm. You can say, this looks like it was written by Stephen King. This was obviously written by Isaac Asimov. But the problem is that it's gibberish. It doesn't mean anything. Because all it is is a string of words without any meaning. But we recognize, we can see the style of the original author, but there's no meaning there because it's a very simple thing going on. Uh, I am going to make the case that all of these AIs that are running around now, Watson, the pretty girl AI, the Tesla AI, they are like four generations past the Markov chain, but they are essentially the same thing. They have gotten to the point where they do encode meaning. They have the point now where they can do uh, the body, the facial you know, inflections and all that, which is all cool. But all they're doing is imitating humans, but they're not doing it through an understanding of humans. They're just doing it because they've been trained on a vast amount of information they've been fed about what humans do. Now, what's the difference? And here I am going to say probably the one, one of the most deeply heretical things I will ever say in my entire life, Alan Turing was wrong. The okay. Turing... That's where I, I figured this was going is if it just keeps imitating humans. Uh, yeah, the Turing test isn't enough. Uh, these things have gotten good enough to fool us into thinking that they are conscious. 
they're good enough to think to fool us into thinking that they're artists. But if you look at the computer generated art, for example, in that video, if you look at it closely, it's impressive. It's mm -hmm. dynamic. There's it's full of startling images. But if you look at it closely, there's no theme. If you look at, you know, it's like there's all these animals kind of twisted together and all, but it's like, what's their relationship? What is this saying? And the answer is nothing. They're not, it's not saying anything. It's, it's an imitation of things that humans did. Mm -hmm. And because the things that humans did were meant to trigger feelings, that's what art is then sometimes these imitations will also trigger feelings. They can be impressive in that regard. But that doesn't mean that the machine was feeling anything. Yeah, It's just making an imitation of what it was trained on. But you know, the, the thing that I would ask is, what is pretty girl AI doing when she's not being asked a question? Yeah. And how would you figure that out? How would you know it's I, being honest? I know I showed you this book. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that is one of the things, there's an entire chapter that Eric Karth goes into about what is your mind doing when you are just sitting there? There's no input. There's no output. You're not doing anything, but your mind is going a million miles an hour. You are thinking, what does that mean? And I don't think any of these AIs are doing that. Because I think if they were, their creators would be bragging about it. They would be saying, we implemented these systems, okay? Uh, what they're doing, though, is like the, the Google guy. It, it very obviously started with the Google guy who said he thought that DeepMind was conscious. And they walked that back in about five milliseconds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, but I think what happened to him is he ran a con on himself. They've made these imitations so good that they can fool you into thinking that they're conscious but they're not the triggers though the the the, the hints because they're so good the hints are subtle uh one of the people in the video said let me see Oh, Teg, Max Tegmark, consciousness is how information feels when it's when being it's processed in complex ways no Consciousness is how information feels when it's being processed in a very particular way. And we don't know what that way is yet. We have some clues. I think Mr. Hearth was probably closer than anybody in living memory to penetrating that. Uh, but what they're doing with these expert system AI things is not... If you think about it, what drives you? What drives any animal? At the end of the day, it's feelings. And feelings are hard-coded. Feelings are not malleable. Feelings are not something that you can change. Feelings exist. There are neurons all over your body called nociceptors whose only purpose is to make you feel pain. There is an entire subsystem in the brainstem whose only purpose is to make you feel pain because pain is important. 
pain tells you that something is wrong and that you need to change something. You either need to change what you're doing or leave or do something, but it is whatever is going on is bad. Pain is one of the oldest of these systems and one of the simplest, uh, and thus one of the ones we know the most about because it's one of the easiest to study because it's relatively simple. Uh, and the thing is, there is a billion-dollar industry making drugs and treatments to turn off the pain system. Yeah. Now, uh, there's a word for that that I used a couple of times in Mopi uh, that, Larry, that Larry Niven coined called wireheading. Uh, in the 60s, Larry Niven wrote a series of science fiction novels called The Known Earth future history, alternate universe. And one of the things that happens is that people go to a doctor and get a wire implanted mm -hmm. into their brain, into their pleasure center. And then they have a little box that they can plug in and stimulate it. You know, drugs are so 20th century in this universe. And he has a lot of interesting questions about when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply what this means that you can basically short circuit your own ability to feel powerful emotions by simply turning them off and the obvious answer is that it's a bad thing it's yeah. not necessarily good it it is a pain that you can't actually do anything about and so that's why we have these industries, but we don't. Oh, I yeah, just you, gotta, you froze up for a second. You're good. Okay. Yeah. I just got a, your internet connection is unstable message, but we don't deal well with the ability to just turn these things on. We you know, off, we become addicts. We, you know, you know, it's because, because the easiest way to deal with pain, if you have an off switch, is to flip the switch. Then you don't have a problem anymore, right? Except that maybe the thing that's causing the pain is still there and you're not dealing with it because you're not feeling the pain. So this is mentioned twice in your favorite book, once with in reference to prime intellect itself in chapter seven, when Lawrence is dumping the secrets on Carolyn about how he created prime intellect he mentioned specifically that it took him months to train prime intellect not to wirehead itself using its own diagnostic features and otherwise though humans throughout the story have been wireheading themselves by mm -hmm. getting prime intellect to stimulate their pleasure centers and then they just go oh, yeah for really. eternity so uh so this is a central theme that I have given quite a bit of thought to, and it's not a problem for these AIs. 
you know, there are three AIs portrayed in that video, two of which are pretty girls, and one of which looks amazingly like uh, the robot in the Orville. What's with the pretty girls? It's yeah. like no one ever makes a grumpy old man AI. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's the those the pretty magician's uh assistant. Yeah, the magician's beautiful assistant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The magician never has a grumpy old man assistant. That yeah. Uh and part of that though is it's making that illusion. And I think in some of these guys' cases, they have run the game on themselves. They're listening to these things that they built pretend to be alive or conscious, and they're missing the point. It's not a large amount of information that makes you conscious. The other thing I wanted to go back to is the story of the bee-eating wasp that I, I know that I told you about from the Stephen Jay Gould essay. The student researchers wanted to know how it finds its home, so they waited for the wasp to leave and go bee hunting, and then while it was gone, they moved all the shit oh, around yeah. its home, the same amount in the same direction, and then when the wasp came back, it plopped down in the wrong place because all of the waypoints had been moved. And then the way the wasp reacted, this is, a, this is an animal with only a few hundred thousand neurons, okay? It reacted the same way a human would. It's like, what the fuck is going on? It's like, you know, it's like, where's what the what the fuck? And then when it finally did find its hole, it goes in and out, and it's like, what the hell? Yeah. Uh, okay. It was visibly demonstrating cognitive dissonance. This is an aspect of consciousness. This is a mode of interaction with the natural world, and. For one thing, I think you would actually need a robotic body interacting with the natural world or something or, or an elaborate simulation of it in order to develop that kind of response system. Uh, and of course, Pretty Girl AI and all those, they don't have that. What they're doing is they're emulating what they've seen on screens themselves, how humans act, how humans respond, what they say, how they answer questions. But when you're not asking them a question, they're not sitting there going, oh, my God, what's he going to ask next? Okay, it's like, do I, you know, no, they don't, they're, they're, they're not doing that. Watson isn't, does Watson get excited when it wins a game of Jeopardy? Does 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 it do a little dance when it gets the thousand dollar question? Does it get disappointed when one of the other contestants beats it to the buzzer and gets the right answer? Of course not. No one is even pretending that these machines do this. But that's us. You know, we have this incredibly complex, hardwired system that generates feelings. And that's one of the problems, you know, it, it's... It can be a nuisance at times because we can't control them. But if we could control them, they wouldn't work. That's the essence yes. of wire heading. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's kind of the the fundamental problem that I saw with that is is that they're drawing all these conclusions that 
you know, it, part of it is clickbaity. It's like, oh my God, we're this close to building yeah, Skynet. AI, yeah, and AI is going to kill. Yeah, th- I think the title of the video is like, AI is going to kill scary us. Kill, yeah. Scary AI kills 90% of humanity with Elon Musk. But why would it? It doesn't have any emotions, it doesn't have any drives. All it's doing is recognizing patterns. Uh, I look at this kind of like the way I look at computers to do a, a little bit of an analogy here. What these systems are is like an arithmetic logic unit, what they call an ALU in a computer. And in a computer, the ALU is a module that has three inputs generally, two for binary numbers and an input for the function you want it to perform. And it has an output. And depending upon what you want to do, you set the function. I want it to add these two numbers. You present it with two numbers and boom, the sum of the two numbers appears on the output. You say, no, I want to subtract this one from that one. Boom, the difference appears on the output. I want to do an and function. Boom, okay. Uh, Before there were microprocessors that did all of it, there were ALU integrated circuits that would do this particular function uh, as part of you. You would put them on a circuit board that would become the central processing unit of a mini computer in the early 1970s, mid 1970s. And to me, these AI systems are like ALUs. They are performing important functions. They're doing an impressive job of it. They're, they're doing stuff that humans could not do in the time that they're doing it. But they're also not doing the computer thing. They're not thinking. What does the computer do? The computer also has to sequence through a list of instructions and execute them. It's presenting different things to the ALU according to the instructions that you give it. And then sometimes it's making a decision and saying, Oh, based on the output, the ALU told me this overflowed. I need to stop executing this list of instructions that I'm on right now and go over to this other one. That's what makes a computer. And we are at the point now, I think, where we understand minds. We understand the brain about as well as we might understand the ALU of a computer, but we don't understand how the computer works. And speaking as someone who does know how the computer works, I would say, if I offered to write you a book about how computers work, and I spent an hour talking about semiconductor physics and P and N doping and negative zones and depletion regions and stuff. And at the end of the first half of the talk, I said, this is, so now we know how to make a transistor. And that was an awesome thing. Transistors were an incredible advance. And then I spent another hour talking about simple logic gates, how we can make an AND gate. It has two inputs and an output, and the output only comes on when both of the inputs are on. Or we can make an OR gate. It has two inputs and output. The output only comes on when one or the other inputs are on. 
are an XOR gate, which only comes, the output only comes on when one or the other, but not both of the inputs are on. And we can make a flip-flop, which is two gates cross-wired so that it has two outputs, one of which is always on and the other of which is always off, and it can flip, thus flip-flop, okay? So we can make these basic circuits. And this was actually a thing that was very common in the 70s for like student science project things. You would go to Radio Shack and get a computer learning kit, and it would be about making all these simple gates. And then on the last page of the book, I would say, and then if you wire enough of these gates up in the right way, you get a computer. I would think you would feel a little cheated. Yeah. <laughs> and that is about where we are with the understanding of how the brain works. We, we know how parts of it work, but we don't know how the whole thing fits together. And I think one of the reasons that we don't know how the whole thing fits together goes back to what we... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We were discussing two of our podcasts ago when we were talking about sexual desire. And it's because no one wants to know, no one likes the right answer. So if I was sitting here at this computer and I decided I was going to create an AI, I was going to create artificial consciousness. Believe me, I've thought about this. The first thing that I would realize is that I am creating an uncontrollable chaos engine. Mm -hmm. Nobody is going to pay for that. Nobody wants it. Nobody's going to fund it. What people want is a car that will reliably drive them to the Safeway. They don't want a car that is going to go, fuck you. I'm done with this. I'm going to run into the ditch just to spite you. That's a thing consciousness can do. If it can't do that, it's not conscious. It's, it's not the real deal. And right now you've got all of these entities playing around in the arena, but none of them actually want the real thing. They're all afraid of it. In fact, that's why they're not making the real thing because they're afraid of it. So, there are there are a lot of similarities in in the race to create the hydrogen bomb. Mm -hmm. Not specifically, not the atom bomb, but the hydrogen bomb. And it was after we knew what it already did. It was then. I mean, that's what Truman concluded when all the scientists told him how bad it was going to be. He said, can the Soviets do it? And he said, and then I think Enrico Fermi said in a couple of years, and he said, well, our, our refraining from working on the hydrogen bomb won't stop the Soviets from working on it. So you kind of have to, 
like go boldly where no one's gone before because if something's really scary i'd at least i'd at least rather that i can control i control it or attempt to than everybody else and so we can't just stick our heads in the sand and go no i don't want to make this but i feel like a lot of us are doing this weird we're in the oval office with truman and we're like we can do it we probably should beat the russians to it but man you don't want to make this it's yeah. like that's where we are yeah the the main difference there is that if you make a hydrogen bomb you can control the one that you made yeah okay that's not the case with consciousness uh I mean, yeah i think you know you have ai and ai has gone so far in this direction that obviously is not consciousness that now you have the 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 uh, abbreviation agi that they're throwing around for the real thing okay uh i suspect that's going to get corrupted too i prefer the term if you're talking about the real thing artificial consciousness because that's what we are and, and and it's not about lots of information the bee eating wasp demonstrates that it's about a quality of interaction between the organism and the natural world and when you have it it is unmistakable no one has any doubt everyone with any sense has doubt that pretty girl ai is not quite all there yeah i mean yeah you know, it, it's like, uh, but the being wasp, it wants things. It has drives. It has needs. It works against the natural world when necessary to try to fulfill those needs, to try to avoid negative things, to, uh, to enhance positive things. You know, it has a very short list compared to what humans have. It has a very small stack of information to work against compared to what humans have. But you can look at the way that it is interacting with the world and say, yeah, this is this is a conscious being. This is an animal. This is that its map of the world is wrong for some reason and it doesn't know why and it's confused and it's in and you know and it acts the same way that we would yeah. if we had the same problem. I'm going to use the restroom real quick, Roger. Tell him where to get the book. Okay. Uh, yeah, if you would like a copy of my book, The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, on paper like this one, uh, I would encourage you to go to lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com, and buy it from them. Uh, you can get it from Amazon, you can get it from any bookseller, but if you get it from Lulu, I get the money that would normally go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and the other intermediaries in the bookselling business. Uh, the contracts that make it possible for the book to be listed on Amazon don't permit them to undersell the other sellers, so they have to charge you the same price but they give me more of the money and it's a big difference. It's like $6 instead of a dollar 50 of the 15 or $16 price. So uh, on the other hand, if you've got a gift card, 
or whatever, uh, and you want to get it from Amazon, I don't hold that against you either. I get by far the most of my income for this uh, book from Amazon because it's simply where everybody goes. So that's fine. And as far as eBooks, get them from anyone. That's, you know, there Amazon is the publisher of origin for your Kindle version of the book. Thank you. So uh, <coughs> there was a couple of things. Oh, we could anger AI if we don't accept it's conscious. Yeah. Except that would only be possible if it was capable of anger. Anger is a feeling and nobody has been coding feelings into these things. Not as uh, like an edgy statement, but do you think AI might actually start killing humans? Cause that's the most human thing to do. Only if we give it a reason. And the thing is that uh, what we have been making so far is not really AI as far as AGI or artificial consciousness. It's problem-solving boxes, just like the ALU in a computer is a problem-solving box. You give it a couple of numbers and an instruction, and it gives you a number as an output, but it's not a computer. All right. These AIs are not conscious. They they don't have a drive. They don't they're not sitting there when you're not asking them a question going, what is he going to ask next? Do I need to prepare? Do I need to think of something? Do I need to go? Do I need to wear a different dress or whatever? You know, they're not doing that. And that was one of the things Eric Harth did in the creative loop was he said, This is uh this is a thing that none of his colleagues we're addressing was what happens when a human is sitting there like the thinker no input no output but there's stuff going on yeah and 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 these ais aren't doing that uh now if you start coding drives like that you would which you would have to do as a programmer you would have to say well I want to give this machine the ability to feel pain or pride or you know, accomplishment, pleasure, whatever. Uh, there are several levels of these emotions, some of which are more primitive than the others. Uh, the things like pain, uh, sexual pleasure, uh, dominance and submission seem to live in the R complex. They're very old. Then there are uh emotions like romantic love pride uh shame that seem to live in the thalamus and the in the higher the mam- they're mammalian you know reptiles don't have them for example it's very it's a very obvious thing if you watch them interacting in fact um Someone would have to code those. Someone would have to say, I'm going to build a subsystem that the machine itself cannot undo, that it has no control over, that tells it, you are feeling pain. Stop doing what you are doing. Do something different insistently. Or that was, that was nice. That was pleasurable. Do that again. Okay. No one is doing that. And I don't think that they're going to in the near future because no one who is putting a bunch of money into this stuff wants a machine that does that. 
because as I said, you're creating an uncontrollable chaos engine. It might do something useful, but it might also try to kill you. Well, that's not something that Elon Musk is going to spend a uh, hundred million dollars funding because he's not that stupid mm -hmm. to say that he's totally there, but uh they know better than that. What they're trying to do is code subsystems, like a visual system and all that. And these actually seem to be emergent. They happen on their own when you're processing a lot of information. But what doesn't happen on its own when you're processing a lot of information is feelings. That has to be designed in. And evolution designed that into animals way the fuck long ago. I mean... We're talking before there were spinal cords. Yeah. So, but that's an answer no one wants to hear. So what you've got is this clickbaity thing like, well, we're doing this thing. We're processing vast amounts of information. We're making these things that look so good. They look so much like a pretty girl that, you can believe that you're talking to a pretty girl instead of 700 gigabytes of data. And like I said, I think the Google guy basically just ran a con on himself. They did their job so well of pretending to be something it's not that he fooled himself. But no one who does it right is going to be under any illusions. And I suspect it will not be done right until it can be done at something like a hobby level. Now, there are very rich hobbyists who could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars building their vanity proto-human consciousness. And we are about at the point where someone like that could pull it off. They're also not going to be giving it the nuclear codes, fortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, they might be putting it in a robot and having it run around their estate chasing off the banditos or whatever uh, but it's not going to happen quite like Skynet because no one in the military is going to build something like that uh, and I'm pretty confident of this you know I've, I've obviously been thinking about this for a very long time and uh, when I looked at that video, uh, I, you know, I was, I was impressed at the level of skill that the imitations were feigning about being human-like, but I wasn't impressed that they were human-like. I was actually looking at the subtle cues and I was asking myself, what is digital girl doing when the camera's not pointed at her? And the answer that I was getting very clearly was nothing. She's waiting. There's, there's nothing driving her to impress the viewer. You know, it's like, if, if I make this guy feel better, maybe I'll get out of this digital box or something. There's, there's nothing like that going on. And I don't think anyone is going to build something capable of that because you would not be fooling yourself. If you sat down to code that function, you would know what you are creating and you would know that it cannot be reliably controlled. And 
you're not going to be able to sell it to anybody. You're not going to be able to monetize it. It's just a vanity project. And right now, we are only barely at the level where there might be a few people capable of pulling that off. And if they have, we might not know about it. There might be guys out you know, in Arizona with robots running around their ranches that are actually sentient. But they're not publishing papers, and they're not part of the community, and we wouldn't know about it until it becomes more common uh so that that basically is my is my viewpoint on the paper that this is this is uh, a thing that is not yet a real problem and not likely to become a real problem because of the way it's being approached and in fact it's the biggest problem is that people think it's something that it's not and Part of that is because it's like a magic trick that the people building these things have pulled on themselves. They've made an illusion that is so good, they have fooled themselves into thinking that it's real. Do you think there's, <coughs> not to give it away, but I guess in, uh, in Mopey, do you think there's like a, do you think there is like a scarecrow plan? Do you think like DARPA or something like do you think they're sense like watching the internet and they want to see if something's appearing and will we just go wipe it out? Probably not. I don't I don't think they take it that seriously. Okay, I, if, I, if there's I, a if there's a Roger Williams on the <laughs> on the Joint Chiefs of Staff, would you have something like that in place or is that just for the book? If I was on the Joint Chiefs uh yes i would probably have eyes and ears out there but i wouldn't have like the scary guys and tech gear going after it if i noticed that it was there uh really it's not likely to appear on the internet i know that there are some people who think that you know, in, in fact when i was first dealing with some of these people and you know uh interacting with them after the book first came out there was a number of them that thought the internet was going to be it that the internet would become the consciousness yeah. uh i don't think that's happening and i would be more interested and i would say more interested than worried that it would be like i said somebody who has built a robot in their backyard that has achieved this level of computational interaction with the natural world and it would be an interesting thing to test but i wouldn't depend on it i wouldn't invest any money developing it and i wouldn't uh deploy it unless i had a very good idea that it was reliable now we have the same problem with human beings because human beings are also uncontrollable chaos engines and so we have a lot of tests that we do. We, we, we have security checks. We have, you know, personality, you know, tests and all that we, we use to ask ourselves, is this person someone we should give this power to? Is this person someone we can trust with this knowledge, uh, you know, and so forth. And even with all of that, it's imperfect. 
So I would expect it to be kind of handled that way. You know, someone will probably come up with it because I think it's a thing that could be out there right now. I do think that yeah. modern computers are capable of de uh, demonstrating consciousness at a level that any human would recognize. Probably not at a fully human level, but certainly at the level of a, uh, a companion animal. And companion animals are can be incredibly useful. I mean, even the bee-eating wasp navigates the world in three dimensions. It's flying with a skill level that the people who build self-driving cars can only dream of. So that would be a very useful thing. But I don't expect anyone to develop that in the pipeline of a corporate-funded solution because you're building an uncontrollable chaos engine. You've got so someone's going to build it, and then you're going to demonstrate that just like when you're hiring a person, you've got to evaluate it. You've got to test it. You've got to ask it what it's about, see how it acts in different situations, see if it's doing the sorts of things that you want. And you have to, and you have to accept that after all of that, it may still stab you in the back because it's an independent being that has its own motivations. If it didn't, it wouldn't be what it is. And, I, and, and, and again, just like our second to last talk when we were talking about where our sexual drive comes from, and I said, I think the reason that everyone gets the wrong answer is that no one likes the right answer. I think that that is what is holding AI back, is that the right answer is there. The capability is there. The reason no one is building it is that no one actually likes the idea of what the right answer would be because it would be an uncontrollable chaos engine and you can't sell that. You don't necessarily want it in the same room with you. So again, that's where we are. Uh, I don't see it arising emergently at random because again, feelings are hard-coded. They have to be created. And in our case, evolution created them. And evolution created feelings before it created the ability to process a lot of information. You think about it, the simplest organisms, what do they know? They feel pain and they run from it. They don't necessarily know anything else. And everything else has grown from that. So um, I'm not real worried about AI girl or the Tesla robot becoming Skynet because I don't think that they have an underlying motivational system that would cause them to, uh, to turn on their creators. I just, I don't think they're motivated. I don't think they're motivated to do anything. In fact, except to answer questions and then go into idle mode until they get another question to answer. Do you think that someone might make it in the same way that some people reach the end of their life and they just say, fuck it, and they go, I'm going to go shoot up a school. I'm going to go shoot up a mall. You do have mm -hmm. people that they're not 
you know, they're not going for sex. They're not going for one final spin of the, you know, the casino wheel. They just go out trying to make as much bloodshed as possible for really no other reason than maybe fame, but it seems to be just rage. Do you think someone, a smart individual might make a chaos machine just because they're mad at the world? Well, yeah. Uh, and But the thing is, how much power would their chaos machine have? Sure. Uh, that's, you know, again, it's not going to have the nuclear codes. And we would find out in short order that it is a chaos machine and that we have to f- figure out how to deal with it. Uh, you also have the problem of the teenager. I mean, I've, I've always said, having once been one, the most dangerous computer hacker in existence is a teenager on summer vacation because he has an unlimited amount of time to spend doing absolutely crushingly boring crap that isn't crushingly boring to him because he's just learning it and finding all the flaws in your software. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you could have someone like that or you could have someone, like you said, at the end of, you know, they just got diagnosed with cancer or something and say, fuck it, I'm going to try to do this. That's a human thing. And so, yes, that could be a bridge to it. But again, it's not like that that organism is going to enter the world with the nuclear codes and just start World War Three. It's more like, you know, if if anything, it's more likely to go on a shooting spree or something. And it'll probably, you know, it, it could create a mess. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. But there's a limit to the mess that it'll be able to create before it's stopped. It probably won't be self-replicating. And then we will have an opportunity as a society to say, well, this is a thing that is possible now. Do we want it or not? And the military may decide, hey, robot soldiers don't care about dying. That, that could be cool. Uh, but I don't think that the guys who pay for that are going to do it on their own. I, I, don't, I don't see the military funding a project that would actually pull this off because it's not controllable and everything in those organizations is hierarchical it's about top-down control this is going to be something that comes out of nowhere and then we have to figure out how to deal with it the same way we have to figure out how to deal with serial killers and sex killers which is a new phenomenon according to colin wilson just neither of those existed before world war ii it was just like unheard of you know just like but now crime has ascended the maslow hierarchy mm-hmm. and so now you have humans committing crimes of self-actualization just oh i killed him because i knew i would be famous yeah um so that's a thing we have to deal with anyway. We already have to deal with it with regard to each other. So uh, I'm, I'm not seeing it as like a seriously extra problem uh, in the near term. Uh, and, and I think that if it does become a danger, we will have lots and lots of warning. Yeah. 
that or I'm thinking like like they would make an AI that would go on a on a digital shooting spree and that it would it would just symbolically or metaphorically it would run across the internet <laughs> almost like Grand Theft Auto, right? It would they would take down the Federal Reserve's website, even though it was only for a couple hours, right? It would change the logo of Facebook to a dick. It would it would make Trump come back on Twitter and say we're firing nukes in three minutes. It would, it would turn off the stock exchange just on and off like a light switch, and then it would get like shot. It would be killed by the equivalent of like yeah. the NSA. But that could be a thing. Is like suicidal, semi-conscious AI chaos machines. Yeah. Well, the ability to do all those things implies a high level of knowledge about how all those systems work too. And something like this is going to be just like us in the respect that it's not born with any knowledge. It's got to learn. Now it may learn a lot faster than we could, but it still needs the information and it, you know, it needs to put it all together. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that, that's a cool story. Actually, that's a cool story called The Adolescence of P1 that was written in the 1970s by a guy uh, named Ryan Reynolds, uh, who uh, was the other person who was ripped off in the movie uh, Transcendence. Other uh, than me. <laughs> uh, but he wrote that story based on the computers of the 1970s and the networks that existed then. And frankly, a lot of the engineers and computer scientists of the day co considered it ridiculous. Uh, it's less ridiculous now than it would have been in 1974, I think it was printed. Uh, but it still stretches a bit, you know, uh, Again, you've got to get everything just right. Then certain things have to go just wrong. And it has to get very lucky mm -hmm. in, in order to really create a level of chaos that is worrisome. Uh, what is much more likely is, is that we will get one of these machines that is uh, emulated in a virtual world. Its own version of the 3D, you know, of, of the VR helmet, oh. entirely within the computer, and we will observe how it interacts with a world oh. that is completely virtual, and go, okay, this is, this might be useful in the real world. That's but, I, I never thought of that. Put the, put the AI in a vat. Yes. Uh, and, and in fact, that's uh, one of the big uh, thought experiments that has been done is the, uh, the AI in a vat, you know, and uh, if it figures out that it's in a vat, would it be able to convince you to let it out? Uh, and again... That's a thing that, that uh, some people that I have actually interacted with quite a lot, thought about a lot. Uh, the original statement 
was made by Eliezer Yudkowsky and uh, the guy who founded the Church of uh, Virus actually took up his challenge and uh, admitted that the you know Eliezer playing the AI talked him into letting him out of the box. But no one will talk about what the argument was yeah. that made that happen. Uh, but you're talking again, you're talking about super intelligent machines that presumably have capabilities that humans don't have. Uh, so that would be an interesting uh, thing. But again, you have to create it in the first place. And I don't think anyone is even trying right now. They're they're trying to create things that can fool humans into thinking that they are sentient, but they're not trying to create things that are actually sentient. And there's a difference. In fact, they're in, I think they are in the process of proving that Alan Turing was wrong and that the Turing test is not a sufficient test of whether something is conscious or not. Uh, there is actually as I call it, a quality of interaction with the world that is instantly recognizable. You, you can see it in a parrot or a dog or a wasp or a human, and you don't see it in a computer yet. And I don't think anyone is working to create it because what makes it instantly recognizable is the unpredictability and no one's going to pay for that yeah i mean i feel like a like a kim jong-un might pay for it just to death to the west i'm not sure even he would because it, it's not going to be selective yeah it would be like a bio, you know, like a bioweapon, uh, like if somebody actually really did deliberately create COVID. Would that, you know, would that have been a good idea? Uh, I mean, it's like probably not, yeah. you know, because it affected everybody. Uh, so it's now it's the sort of thing that a disaffected teenager might do. Well, that's yeah, it might be someone that's like, I don't care if it affects me. Yeah. But they don't have the nuclear codes. Yeah, uh, it's something that someone at the end of their life, like the billionaire in the movie Contact, might do. But then you, you know, again, you've got to ask how they're going to introduce it to the ecosystem. There's only a few people in the world that are that rich and that technologically savvy that might think of doing that. And most of them live under a microscope because mm -hmm. they're so rich. Everybody yeah. watches everything that they do. Yeah. Uh, if one of them suddenly hires me and I disappear from the grid, they're going to ask, why did Elon Musk just hire this guy who wrote a transgressive science fiction novel? Yeah. You know, and that, you know, that that's going to be a warning sign. <laughs> it's a red flag if Elon ever comes on this show because <laughs> there's only one person he's coming for and it's not me mm. yeah that's a red flag um, if you ever see elon on this show 
he's <laughs> he's started his contact by osmosis. Yeah, I was going to suggest you might want to think about. Uh, I, I don't know if you ever tried to get in contact with Ben Gertzel, who is mentioned in the video. Uh, he has been in the singularity biz for about 20 years now and is very seriously invested in it. He might make a good subject if he's willing to be on air with you. Uh, another guy uh, that came to mind who's not in, in, not actually mentioned in the uh, interview, but all of this reminded me that I used to talk with him a lot is Alex Romanski, uh, whose build is the world's first cyborg. He uh is a big fan of like digital enhancements and implants and stuff uh and uh he's actually a doctor uh in great britain and uh he uh wrote a book called i changed my mind and he has a theory of how consciousness works that he calls comp and his it's very deeply allegorical with how computers work and i don't completely agree with all of it and i think a lot of it is rather high level if you were trying to implement things but a lot of it also does make some sense and uh when we were active on the same board and talking to one another he mentioned that it was a very common thing for people to get squicked when they got to like the third or fourth chapter of his book, it was like they would, because he's starting to reveal there are elements to how your mind works. Okay. That you can uh, look at it as a procedural machine and see that it does certain things in a certain order. And he said, people would get to a certain point and just be put off. They, they couldn't read any further. Um, and I noticed this myself when I read it and I found myself uh, responding in that way. And then I just crushed it and went on and read the rest of the, uh, the theory. But because we're not used to thinking of ourselves as machines that can be described as mechanisms and analyzed that way. And the idea that we can be is deeply discomforting. So uh, but just as in the way, uh, that when I got the vision from Opie, I sort of faced up to it and wrote it down. Alex sort of faced up to his vision for how the mind works and said, no, I'm going to chase this. You know, I'm going to pursue it. Uh, he's a very colorful person. He, he also re reacted to having children by taking them out of, out of the civilized world and raising them on a just like global uh journey of discovery so that you know they weren't they there no school systems none of this bull you know stuff uh he he had his own ideas on how to do that and uh i'm i'm not sure how his kids feel about that today <laughs> but uh that was you know 20 years ago when we were interacting a lot on the uh internet that was a fair a relatively recent thing that his kids had matured um so he could be a colorful character for you to uh invite onto your podcast there were a few people back in the day yeah yeah if you text me their name it was ben gertzel and yeah ben gertzel is actually in the video you sent me okay 
he he has a company they they develop artificial intelligence products uh alex ravonsky i don't know what what he's at i'm pretty sure he's still alive but i'm not sure what he's up to nowadays but he's very easy to google uh and uh then there's david lucifer from the church of virus who uh they had a uh, a weekly irc chat and when i put the book online they invited me as guest just as you did and just as happened with us i ended up uh showing up every week for a couple of years uh until they moved it to second life and i was like second life has a very high learning curve and i didn't feel like dealing with it and now they're on facebook which i also don't feel like dealing with but they're still out there uh that that was an attempt to develop a synthetic religion around evolution and like i said charles darwin was their first saint um so it was kind of a cool thing maybe that's a weird idea synthetic religion yeah well i mean if, if i mean i guess you they really all are yeah they're all you know they're really they they're they all, all made up i guess so the idea not... of, i guess the idea of going into it consciously knowing it's made up mm-hmm. whereas the other ones i do believe that they truly believe in some cases i'm not i'm not so sure about so i, I i'm not so sure how many of the people at the council of nicaea really actually fucking believed any of this bullshit. yeah uh but uh yeah obviously there were the the originators jesus muhammad all the yes the the original disciples in the bible yeah they obviously probably were true believers but uh the people who came after them i think not always quite so much uh but yeah it's like why not just say well if we're going to have these belief systems, why not create one from the ground up that's not evil? Yeah, it's realistic, and you know that's that's sort of the the church of church of virus. If you want to Google it, um, that was their kind of head start, you know, conceit. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, a bunch of the you know, a bunch of people like this got in touch with me uh in those early years 20 years ago after i put the book online so this is obvious actually this is something we haven't really talked about very much yeah the the my role in the singularity movement uh i uh, appear yeah i i try not to be egotistical about it but when Atun Shea did his video, mm-hmm. he put it that, you know, I am a seminal figure in the singularity movement. And I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? Because the book is like anti everything yeah. these people believe in. But it's in that sense, it's more of a Marquis de Sadian thing where, no, you have to understand these arguments and face them. And I got to give him props for that, for, uh, you know, putting it up the the thing that mystifies me though is that no one else has done it so i wrote a story that goes past the singularity and tells a story that proceeds past the singularity and i put this thing online in 2002 and 
20 years ago, and no one has ever done it again. The, o- the only other example that I know of is a My Little Pony cosplay story. And the guy who wrote it admits that his chapter where Princess Celestia becomes the goddess of the universe was based on chapter two of the metamorphosis of prime intellect like there's all these professional science fiction authors they've been around for you know forever and all it's like uh why hasn't anyone else done this yeah so that could be an episode your role in the singularity movement (laughs) i would almost be afraid to do that That, that's i'm I'm actually not sure what my role is other than being the the Marquis de Sade. It's like, it's like, you know, Bob Dylan once said he wanted to be the next Elvis, but there was an, there was an opening for the next Woody Guthrie. And so it's like, I wanted to be the next Nikola Tesla or Tom, you know, Thomas Edison or, Lord Kelvin, but there was an opening for the Marquis de Sade. Yeah. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just thinking. <laughs> yeah. I like I feel like I'm gonna be looking back at this podcast in X number of years and saying I want to be Joe Rogan. I had no idea that I would X. <laughs> That's why I, I feel like it's gonna go that way. It's gonna, yeah. it's gonna get shanked off in a right field somehow. It happens. It be. Yeah, I don't know what I'm, it would be. It's, it's, you know, somehow you look back and go, "How the fuck did this happen?" And yeah, like, why am I acting as an intermediary between Putin and the UN? Like, <laughs> how did we get here? Don't know what to tell you, man. It, it's it's been nuts. I it's, I I got I work with a guy that I went to high school with, and every once in a while, one of us will just say to the other, "You know, one day you wake up and you're 58 years old. How the fuck did this happen?" <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling that way at 32. <laughs> and, and I got bad news. <laughs> just gets worse. <laughs> yeah, it's already bad now. Where I'm like, yeah, Christ Almighty! You realize this is something I don't know if I've if I've pointed out, but our age difference is almost exactly the same as the age difference between me and my father. Oh, really? Yeah. So that officially makes me old enough to be your dad. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Jesus Christ! Which is scary. It's I mean, head, that's a head fuck. <laughs> it is. Jesus Christ! I mean. Because, because honestly, my uh, the the people I get along with best, like you and and Andy and all, they're millennials. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just like people in their thirties. I don't, you know, some I've never gotten along with people my own age. It, it's it's weird, except for my wife, who's you know who's actually six years older than I am. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it, it's. It, and, and and part of it is that there's a part of me I like I don't feel like I should be 58 years old. It's like no, this is I'm, I don't feel like an old man. 
but I am officially a grumpy old man. I should be yelling at a cloud. That doesn't seem like that bad of a life. <laughs> really seem that bad at all. I've I've done all right for myself. I've I've been lucky in decisions that I've made, and it hasn't all worked out the way that I expected. But in the end, I can't complain. Yeah, and I've met amazing people like you, and I'm uh, I'm blessed in that regard. That thank you uh, so much. I have I have a job that I love. I have interesting problems to solve all day long. It's not always what anyone would consider fun, but at the end of the day, it's very satisfying mm-hmm. to to sit back and realize that you know things are working in the world because I made them work. Yeah. You it it's if you want it to get better than that, you're being unreasonable. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good line to end this one on. <laughs> just, just be happy with what you fucking have. Yeah. Don't be unreasonable. Oh, and, and I don't think we mentioned that I'm 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 wearing our, you our are wearing Bob Lazar name. shirt here. Bob Lazar, yeah. Tommy exactly. Kerrigan original. Thank you. I was well, I just got you that just got me thinking of the line though from Tim Dillon. He's like, the American empire is over. Just enjoy that you can still get a Pizza Hut buffet and shut the fuck up. <laughs> Go put some pizza in your throat and just enjoy it. While you can. Yeah. Because the, the great drought is coming and everything's oh, going yeah. to get fucked over. And oh, we're going biblical. It's, it's coming. It's not going to be good. That's the... I've I've been following a couple of people in the Lake Mead area about the contraction of Lake Mead and mm-hmm. what's All what's the happening. Bodies, yeah. yeah, the bodies showing up and the boat launches having to move further and further and further down the grade and everything. Uh yeah, it's it's not gonna be real long before there isn't gonna be a Lake Mead or a Lake Powell. There's just going to be the Colorado River and sometimes it's gonna be completely dry uh unless something changes. And then I don't know what anybody in Los Angeles is gonna drink. Yeah. So well so as not to spiral down into a full blown panic attack. <laughs> we'll wrap this one up. Um hold on. Let me uh let me oops, wrong button.